You're listening to Hebrews Jesus is Better series, preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, and um, there's not too many places to look around, so it's going to be this way and that way, all right? So just don't get nervous. Uh, this is how it goes. Let me start by just reading um, one verse, not in Hebrews chapter 10, but in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. You'll know this verse, uh, even if you didn't know it was here. Paul says to the Corinthian church, and now abides faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And so this morning, we're going to come back to that because you're going to see in, in the commands that we're going to find in Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to deal with faith, hope, and love. So let's look at our text this morning in Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse number 19. He says, having therefore brethren, brothers and sisters, and we'll just stop for a moment, that having or sense therefore, first I want you to notice that he reminds us that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. Whether you're rich, poor, black, white, educated, uneducated, cool or uncool. And in this place, usually uncool. Except Dan said this morning that he was cool. So we just agreed with that. But it doesn't matter. In Jesus Christ, this is the only answer to humanity. There is no unity without Jesus. Because he breaks down every wall. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ. By the blood of Christ, we're all adopted and put into his family. So he reminds us that we're brothers and sisters, but that therefore also tells us where we've been. And so we've been following Hebrews from chapter 7, 8, 9, and now 10. There's been this truth of Christ and the, the old covenant compared to the new. And here's what we know as we move into this text. Number one, we know that the shadow has given away to reality. Those things in the past... In the old system, the old economy, they were shadows. They weren't the real thing. But now since Christ has come, the real, the reality of it has come. We know that there's a perfect high priest now. Not a man who was sinful, but a sinless high priest, Jesus Christ, who made the perfect sacrifice and who initiated the new covenant. So now, this morning, there is no need to live by an old covenant. The rules, the regulations, the ceremony and Sabbath, all of those things were external. All of them. They could never penetrate to the conscience, to clear our conscience, and they could never redeem a heart. That, that wasn't what it was about. There's no need to live by an old covenant, and it's unnecessary. Why? Because Christ fulfilled all of it. In Matthew 5, verse 17, he says, Don't think that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And that's exactly what he has done. Paul could say, For all the promises of God in him, Jesus, are yes and amen. And so now he says, We have boldness to enter in the holy place. Look at our text now. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. He says, brothers and sisters, this morning we have boldness or, or confidence to enter in the holy place. That word boldness literally means to have courage to do something that is regarded as dangerous. So he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I want you to be bold, to have confidence, to do something that's regarded as dangerous. So what's the something that's regarded as dangerous? What was regarded as dangerous is going past the curtain that separates the holy from the holiest of holies. 
He says, that's dangerous. Well, why is that dangerous? Remember, we're not talking about the Wizard of Oz this morning. About a man behind the curtain with the thunder and the smoke and the noise. And he was a feeble old man pretending to be powerful, terrified that he might be exposed. That's not who we're talking about behind the curtain. We are talking about the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, thrice-holy God who is the light that no man can approach. And so we as sinful, flawed, broken people, to even peek behind this curtain of the old covenant would be death. Uh, It was dangerous, and it is dangerous. So how can it be that he encourages us now to have boldness to do this dangerous thing because, verses 19 and 20 tell us, the blood of Christ, his death, his sacrifice, his offering, has opened the way for every believer. Listen, this morning, as a believer in Christ, it's not like, well, he's an elder, he's a pastor, they're a deacon, they came from a good family, a good background, so they have these privileges. No, in Christ, every believer now has the privilege of going behind the curtain into the very presence of God. Not just peeking, but walking right in. Now, in the body of his death, Paul tells us, we are presented holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. And so, He's going to tell us now, I want you to understand two things. Seeing, number one, that Christ has opened this way, that you and I now have the privilege to walk right into the presence of the holy God of the universe, and that we have a high priest who is always making intercession for us. This glorious and profound truth is profoundly glorious. But now watch this. That's not all. To know these things is wonderful. To glory in them is wonderful. But now he says in verse number 22, let us, and he's going to, this is the beginning of three commands. He's going to move from the doctrine and the teaching of, of chapter 7 through 10 and the precepts and the, to, to, to duty and from the precepts to the practice, which reminds us this morning, the word of God is not just to fill our heads with knowledge. It's to change our lives. We don't come to the word just so that we have the answers to win a debate or that we win in Bible trivia or we're really good with sword drills. That's not the case. We come to the word of God because we want to move from the knowing to application. Too many of us, we sit and we hear and we leave and we never do. That's not the design. It tells us how we ought to live. And so now in this application, we're going to see this morning how you and I are to live today in the world where we find ourselves, which is a world of despair, confusion, depression, how we're to live in faith, hope, and love. So that's where we're going this morning. Let's look now at verse number 22, this first command, in light of what we know about Christ coming into the presence of God, our high priest, he says in verse number 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He tells us that we are fully dependent upon Christ's priestly work, and now we know that we are accepted. How is it that sinful people now can be accepted into the very presence of God and have this great high priest? He says, because our hearts have been sprinkled. In the old covenant, as it started, as it was initiated, um, blood was sprinkled to initiate the covenant. For the priesthood, they were commissioned by the sprinkling of blood. And now what he says is, for the believer in Christ, our hearts, our consciences have been sprinkled by his blood. We are completely cleansed and made clean. We're clean. Um, And there are times when we don't feel clean. 
There are times when we sense guilt in our own lives. And for every believer, when we think about coming to the presence of God, we know that in ourselves we're unworthy of that. We know our own sin. We know our own failures. And so we come and we even confess, oh God, I don't deserve to be here. I deserve your wrath. I deserve your judgment. And yet, even as we say that, like Tozer said, we know that in the back of our minds, we are the apple of God's eye. Because of Jesus Christ, we have been cleansed. We have been made right. And so we boldly come. The guilt is gone. We come into his presence. This is our faith. My brother and sister, we no longer have to run from God or hide from his presence, or cower before him, we as his children, now by faith, having our hearts sprinkled, we are made clean, so we run into the presence of our king. This is an amazing truth. This is our faith. Our minds or our hearts have been sprinkled. We can now glorify the God that we serve, worship in the presence of the Savior. I don't even know if we understand the beauty of all this. That the God of heaven, that before I mean, the Israelites would not even go. When, when he spoke from the mountain, all of the Israelites fell on their faces. Moses, you go. We don't want to deal with this God. Everything smoked. Everything thundered. It was terrifying. And now yet we are invited by faith to walk into the presence at any time, in any moment, in any situation, even being, being bogged down by this world and sin and despair. We come in, find forgiveness, and we find fellowship. But not only that, he says our bodies are washed. And again, we're thinking about this idea of ceremonial cleansing. And in the Old Testament, you see it over and over again. But when he's talking now about our bodies being washed, I think what he's dealing with is our baptism. Because baptism is an outward sign of our inward faith. We have been made clean, and the world sees it. We're saved by faith, and now we're to live by faith. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, um, Paul is speaking about baptism, and he says um, that we're baptized in the likeness of his death, that we are to be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Why? To walk in newness of life. And now in light of what Christ has done, the faith says, Lord, I believe you. Now my life is to be one that I'm not what I used to be. I am walking now in this newness of life. Saved by faith, I am to live by faith. And so I don't have to be what I once was. And this is a glorious truth. Believer, we don't have to be what we once were. And whether that's the past of a, a biker gang years ago or the past of last week, we don't have to stay there. By faith, we get up, our hearts are clean, our bodies are washed, we can live the life that he's called us to do. Number two, he says, not only lay hold or let us draw near with faith, he says then um, in verse number 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith, literally our hope, without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Uh, I, I, I don't want to be a downer this morning, but we live in a hopeless world. <laughs> and, and those outside of Christ who are secular and who are materialists who say, hey, you live this life, get all you can, can all you get, you die like a dog, it doesn't matter. Um, that's a life of despair. So despairing. Listen to what uh, Bertrand Russell said. He was the, the great skeptic of years gone by, died in 1970. In his book, A Free Man's Worship, he understood when you talk to atheists about life and, and that this is all there is, that, that it can bring despair. And this was his answer to deal with the hopelessness of that ideology. He says this, The labors of all the ages 
all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius, and that, what he's talking about is everything we've accomplished in this world, all the glorious things that we see that man has done, are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. <laughs> everything that we glory in, I want you to know, it's destined to death as our solar system will just burn out and fade away. He says, every achievement of man must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruin. And then he says this, only on this firm foundation of knowing that everything is going to be buried under just dirt and we're all going to be gone, is under the foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation henceforth be safely built. And what he's saying is, it's only as the atheist understands this is so despairing that we have hope. It doesn't make any sense. We live in a hopeless world. And, and, and we understand that for the secular atheist. But sometimes in our lives as believers, we feel hopeless. There's that song by, by Andrew Peterson. He says, uh, do you feel the world is broken? And as we think about it, the, the choir comes back and says, we do. We feel a brokenness in this world today. As we look around, we sense it, we feel it. Maybe it, it terrifies us at times. The world seems to be dark. It seems to be despairing. And we can get caught up in this, this idea that, I don't know, up from down, I, I don't know um, what's true, what's not true in our world today. Um, but we have hope, and that hope is confidence. The, the fact is, I have very little confidence today in and you can name it. We can talk about vaccines. We can talk about masks. We can talk about government. We can talk about policies. We can talk about lockdowns. We can talk about raising puppies. I have no confidence in any of those things, right, at, at all. But, but the writer here says, I want you to hold fast to your profession, your confession, your confidence. Because our confidence is not in any of these things. Our confidence is from our living high priest who makes intercession, who has made the way clear. We as believers this morning have real hope. And that hope is confidence. It's confidence in what we profess to be true. And here's what it is. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord. He lived, he died, was buried, he rose again, he lives forever to make intercession for us. He's coming back someday to right every wrong on this planet. He will rule and reign. And so my brother and sister this morning, listen to me, even in the light of the despair that we feel around us, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure as the billows roll. How's the rest of it go? Grounded in the rock that cannot move, anchored deep and pure in the Savior's love, something like that. You can look it up later. Great song. Hold fast. Uh, not just optimism. It's confidence. We have confidence because we have a living Savior. And so he says, hold fast to your hope. And then he says, just to encourage us, for he is faithful that promised. How can we do this? Because the God that we serve is faithful to all of his promises. He will not renege on any of them. I don't know if you know the story of Polycarp. Polycarp was a bishop, I think, of Smyrna. He was actually a disciple of, of, of the Apostle John. He knew John, the one who leaned on Jesus' breast during the communion service. Polycarp lived between 70 and 155 A.D. And at the age of 86, the Roman state decided he, as a Christian, deserved to die. And so they came after him. He knew they were coming. 
And when the, when the men came to, to take him away, he, he opened the door, he welcomed them in, he gave them a meal and gave them something to drink, and then he prayed for two hours. Got off his knees and went with them to the stadium where there was a crowd of people howling and waiting to have him come in to see his death and demise. And so as he came into the Colosseum of the stadium there, the proconsul said to him, Have respect of your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent, and say, down with the atheist. And so for us, it may be confusing, but in his day, the Christians were the atheist because they didn't buy into the secular religion of the state. So they didn't believe the gods of Rome, so they called them atheists. And so this, this uh, Roman official says, Polycarp, you say, down with the atheists and you can live. And here's what Polycarp did. Poly- Polycarp looked grimly, at the wicked heathen multitude in the stadium, and gesturing towards all of them, said, down with the atheists. <laughs> so he pointed to them and said, down with the atheists. Uh, I respect an old man that has, he was a punk at 86 years old. And then the proconsul said, reproach Christ and I will set you free. And he could do it. He could set the old man free at 86 years old if he just said, I denounce Christ. And here's what Polycarp said. 86 years I have served him. He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And then he died. He died because he said, God has been faithful to me. My brother or sister, listen, we have hope. And we have hope in what is true and what is right. We live in a world that is upside down. We live in a world that calls evil good and good evil. We live in a world where where people actually believe that men can have babies. That's the world we live in, right? Right? The emperor has no clothes. So what I'm saying this morning is we have hope. We need not blush. We need not be ashamed. We need not be silent. We have the answers. We have hope. And God has been faithful, and he will be faithful. And so we have faith. We have hope. And here's the last thing this morning. We have love. Look at verses 24 and 25. He says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, Now, I want to just stop for a second because especially in the day we live in with church lockdowns, people just say, listen, this is the verse. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And certainly this morning, we believe the church should meet, even with seven of us here this morning, right? Because the nature of the church in itself means, ecclesia, called out assembly, that, that the church is called to meet and to gather. This is how we do the one another's. But, but be careful. This is not just a text that we take and say, see, we need to be meeting every Sunday in services in church. Uh, don't forsake. The forsaking is not the command. The command in the text is, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Let us consider how to stir one another up. The forsaking is describing the people who have rejected this command. This verse is is not less than meeting together in church, but it's more than that. He is calling brothers and sisters in Christ to consider one another. That word literally means to think carefully about each and every believer. We are to consider one another, and then we are to provoke them. That word provoke is a really strong term. A matter of fact, it's used negatively in Acts chapter 15, somewhere around verse 36, 7, 8, or 9, somewhere in there, where Paul and Barnabas had this disagreement. And Paul said we should take 
Paul said we should take Silas with us and not Mark. And Barnabas said we should take Mark. And the disagreement was so sharp, same word, provoking, that they, they went their separate ways. These two godly men split and went different ways in ministry. This is the word. It, it means to spur on, to, stim, to stimulate a change or motivate, uh, a, a change in, in motivation or attitude. Sorry about that. It means to do life together in such a way that we are discipling one another, that we're, we're, we're spurring on, we're motivating each other to grow in grace. It is to encourage and strengthen. This command is not just come to church. You ought to come to church, but there's more here. It's not just come and then leave. The fact is we're to come and to consider one another and to encourage and strengthen during loss. Whether it's a loss of a long-time dream, whether it's a loss of livelihood, I just had a guy here this morning who because of some of the restrictions happening now, he might lose his job. And it's a reality for him. We come during loss of livelihood. We come during loss of loved ones. People weeping in our church who have lost loved ones. We come to encourage and strengthen. We come in difficulties, difficulties in marriage. Young kids getting married today have this, this idea that that marriage is just utopia. I found the one that I love, and from this moment forward, it will always be love, right? That lasts for about a week. And then it's like, this is a reality. We're human beings that are sinful and flawed and, and tired and cranky, and then you get old and your skin starts to get all like this, and then this is reality. We're to encourage each other in the difficulties of marriage, in, in, in um, managing our children and raising kids. It's not easy, especially in this world. And in mastering our flesh, we all have our personal demons. And so we come together as a, as a body of believers to encourage, don't stop. If you've stumbled, get up. Don't stay there. We come in the depressing times of life. Life does happen. And life can be hard. I, I just wish sometimes people in our church could just stand here where I stand and look at a full congregation of 250 people and know their stories. Life is hard. It's depressing at times. Whether it's our circumstances or COVID-19, the eternal winter <laughs> never, never ends. When is it going to end? I don't know. I wish it would end. Um, but the fact is, this command is to consider one another. To consider, to think about each other, to encourage. Um, I don't think that Bill Withers had this idea in mind as far as the church when he wrote the song, lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. I couldn't get all the words this morning. I was all confused. Um, uh, oh, the next, four, it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on, right? I just might have a problem. Right? We could sing that today. It's a great truth. And it is the church of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you, we're not always strong. There are times we need somebody to lean on. And this is the truth of the church. Don't forsake loving each other. That, that's the command. And sometimes we do it by dropping out. Sometimes there are people in the Christian community who forsake. Um, they're not encouraging. Why? Because they just fell off the, the, the radar screen. They're gone. They're pursuing their own life. They're pursuing their own dreams. Um, and they leave other Christians hanging in the lurch. Listen, I, I don't know if you understand this, but even in the gatherings like this this morning, this brings great encouragement. There's seven people at this service wanting to be here. And I see your faces. And it's encouraging to us, right? And the next group, and the next group, and the next group. Um, don't forsake each other. Don't do that during personal conflict. You understand, in a church, 
in any church, it, it, whether it's 10 people or 10,000 people, there's conflict. Sinners sin against people, right? And if you're here for any length of time, if I haven't sinned against you yet, I don't want to, but I will. I'll say something stupid. I'll do something stupid. You will do something stupid. And what happens is people then don't encourage one another to provoke to love. They just leave. And so they take their dysfunction someplace else. What I'm telling you, keep your dysfunction here. Right? Just stay here. And don't stay dysfunctional. Let's work the thing out. Because running from this doesn't help anyone. You're, the person who has, and listen, I've been in this long enough, people come to our church and say, ah, that church there, and blah, blah, the whole list, right? And they come here, and guess what? We're the new list. That's how this thing works. And so don't do that. Provoke to love and good work. Sometimes we forsake one another by acting like we're the lone ranger. Yeah, I'll show up, but I don't need fellowship. I don't need to get together. I don't need accountability because I'm good. I'm private. I'm guarded. You know, this is my life, and it's me and Jesus. Well, you and Jesus is supposed to be you and Jesus and his church. That idea is Western individualism. It's not biblical Christianity. And so, brother and sister, do we consider one another? Do we think carefully about one another? Christians in this place, the young and the old, the married and the singles, the parents and the widows, we are to encourage and to exhort one another. And we can do that, by the way, whether we're meeting with 250 people or not. You can do life with people outside of these walls. You can make a phone call. I do this. This is, this is what old people do to make a phone call. Old Young people do this. This is a, this is a phone call now. This used to be this with the big cord on it, stretch it on the wall, right? You can make a phone call. You can send a letter. You can even make a visit. I, I don't care about the COVID. You, can, you could visit somebody. You could knock on the door. You could social distance. You can stay in touch. You can consider one another. Now look what he says as we close out the text this morning. He says, don't forsake, do assemble, encourage and exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Don't do less. Do more as you see the day approaching. Now listen, there is a day approaching for all of us. There is. I'm 52 now. and I, I, It's young. Yeah, Bruce, it ain't that young. Um, we have young, young here. Um, and I just had this thought the other day. And this is, it's kind of morbid, but I was thinking about the text. I have four beautiful granddaughters. I love every one of them. I just wondered, how much of my life will I be able to share with them? Will I see them get married? Will I see their kids or their kids' kids? I'm hoping to be able to at least beat up a couple guys, like four guys somewhere in the process there, or at least threaten them. But I don't know that. I, I don't. Right? There is a day coming for all of us. But the day he's talking about is not that day. He's talking about the day when Christ splits the sky and comes for us. It is our blessed hope. It is a thing we're longing to and looking forward to. And I'm, I'm going to give you a, a prediction this morning. Okay, you ready for this? We want to predict when he's... Are we living in the last days? Yes, we are. Just so that you know, we have been living in the last days since Jesus Christ rose from the tomb. These are the last days. John said we are living in the last days. There are many antichrists even now. All right, so let me give you a prediction when Christ is coming back, okay? Are you ready for this? Here's what he's, He is at least one day closer than he was yesterday. And that's what I know. And that's all I'm going to say, because everyone else is a fool who says anything else, right? But it's one day closer. And he says, as we see the day approaching, you and I should be more concerned with considering one another 
and loving his body. Martin Luther said, there are only two days on my calendar, today and that day. Today. And today, no matter where we find ourselves, we can love each other and we can encourage each other. What are we to do in a world lost and a world that has lost its way amid confusion, uncertainty, chaos, darkness, and depression? Well, there are a couple things we do. Number one, we need to remember. Remember that Jesus Christ has made the way open for every one of us, not just to peek behind the curtain, but to boldly walk in before the God of heaven and fellowship with him. Remember that. And not only that, that we come in his merits, and he is our high priest praying for us right now. Right now, Jesus praying for us. And in light of that, then, let us practice faith. Don't run from God. Don't be a coward coward before him. Don't be ashamed. If we blow it, we sin. We run back into his presence, and we fellowship before the God of heaven. We practice faith. We practice hope, confidence. I don't know all that's true in this world, but I do know what truth is. And I can proclaim it without blushing, without being silent, without being ashamed. Practice hope, and then practice love. Love people in this place. Love the body of believers. Love each other. Love, the, love each other in your homes. Love each other as believers. Encourage, provoke, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so, brother and sister, thank you for being here this morning. And take this truth. Let us practice faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Is love. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for just a privilege to be together. And I pray that your words would find a place in our hearts. We'd be good soil and that we would be grown because of it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.